Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see more than just my wife and family here with us this morning. <laughs> so praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming. Uh, it means more than you probably realize. So I uh, want to uh, start by just thanking you guys uh, so much. The body here has been uh, overwhelmingly uh, receptive to uh, our coming, uh, my family and I, and uh, uh, really just amazed from um, the introduction that we received at the airport. And a, a couple of the families, a number of them came out, welcomed us, had signs up, uh, super blessed. Um, uh, we've even had some meals that are being cooked for us, uh, extremely well received. We're very, very, very thankful and appreciative. Um, it's a sign that Mike has uh, got a great church going here, and I'm very excited to uh, just step in and continue to, to serve the Lord, uh, minister to the Lord, and, and hopefully minister to you guys uh, and continue to help you uh, grow in your relationship with the Lord. And so just very blessed to be here uh, this morning. Uh, my uh, idea, and uh, I thought, should I do a special message or a first message? I thought, you know what, I I just want to get into a normal routine. I think this last couple of weeks have been just us, my family, specifically longing for that normal routine of just let's just get into things and get going. And uh, we're hopefully going to be getting some household our household goods maybe tomorrow or, or the next day. And so we'll try to help set up the house and kind of get into a routine in there. But I just thought for the church body, I, you've had a number of special messages. And so I thought, man, you guys have been studying through the book of Matthew. Let's just let's just jump back into the book of Matthew and, and pick up where we left off and continue. On. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to pick up in our study uh, of the book of Matthew. Uh, and really, it's just a, a systematic study of uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so uh, we're going to be picking up at Matthew chapter 6 uh, this morning. But I know it's been a, a few months. I looked it up. I think it's been two months since we were last uh, in our normal study through the book of Matthew. And so I thought it might be appropriate just to do a little bit of an overview or a review of the book of Matthew as well as uh, what we've covered thus far uh, in the book of Matthew. For those of you who uh, are with us or have been with us or with us through the summer, it will be a review. Uh, if you weren't with us through uh, the summer, then this will be somewhat new to you. But we've covered, uh, starting in the book of Matthew, remember uh, that the book of Matthew is written by Matthew. Okay, Matthew was a uh, Jewish a tax collector that he worked for Rome though uh, and not a very popular uh, profession amongst the Jewish people uh, so Matthew would not have been a very popular person amongst uh, his countrymen however he's writing this book as he writes the gospel of Matthew he is addressing uh, his primary audience is his fellow countrymen, the Jews. And so the book of Matthew, as you look at the four different Gospels, each are talking about the life of Christ, but each one has a very uh, specific theme and a very specific targeted audience. And so we realize that Matthew, in writing, he is writing to his fellow countrymen. Now, uh, as he writes, his emphasis is placed on presenting Jesus of Nazareth as the long-awaited and anticipated Christ. Okay, or uh, uh, the Hebrew word for that, Messiah. He's the long-awaited Messiah, which is, uh, was to be the king of the Jews. And in order to prove this, Matthew, more than any other writer of the Gospels, will often jump back and use Old Testament scriptures uh, and allusions to prove his point. 
In fact, I was reading through my wife's. She has an open Bible. It has a great little study notes in it. And it said that uh, there's almost 130 quotations and allusions uh, that came from the, uh, in, uh, that are found in the book of Matthew uh, from the Old Testament. So a lot of references to the Old Testament. Uh, Matthew opens his gospel letter by immediately declaring the lineage of Jesus Christ. This was vital because in order for any Jew to take Matthew's claims uh, serious, he had to prove that Jesus came from the line of David. And that's why Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 opens up the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. From the genealogy, Matthew then documents the birth of Christ. And then in chapter 2, as you, you make your way through, if your Bible has headlines, you can kind of follow it. Uh, in chapter 2, we looked at the, uh, the visit of the Magi. Okay? Uh, we looked at Joseph and Mary's escape to Egypt. And also King Herod and his actions uh, against all male children, two years and under, that lived in uh, the town of Nazarene. So uh, some evil things that uh, Herod did. Chapter 3, we were introduced to the person and ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, You may recall that John's message was one of repentance based upon the coming Messiah. And even at the end of chapter 3, Jesus comes on scene and John uh, says, No, you you should be baptizing me, I should baptize you. But uh, Jesus says, No, this is how it needs to be done. And and so John the Baptist even baptized Jesus. And there, at the end of chapter 3, there was a voice that was heard from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it must have been an incredible uh, sight to be uh, there to hear that voice from heaven coming down. Chapter 4, we saw how Jesus was tempted by the devil, but he overcame. He overcame by using the Word of God. And uh, a great uh, example for us. Uh, We saw him begin his public ministry as well in chapter 4. He began uh, in the region of Galilee, and it's there that he selected his first four disciples. Uh, Two sets of brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. Is it? Okay, I'm hearing wind. I think it's because of this fan right here. I hope that's not too much of a distraction for you guys. I'll try not to let it distract me. Um, But uh, he there uh, in Galilee, he taught, he preached, he healed, and the multitudes began to start following Jesus there in chapter 4. Which brings us to chapter 5. In chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, we see... Uh, It opens with, And seeing the multitudes, he, referring to Jesus, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them. And here we see uh, this teaching that Jesus gave is where we left off. That's where we were last off in our studies. We were in the middle of Jesus' teaching here that began at chapter 5. This uh, teaching is often referred to as the the Sermon on the Mount. And it actually begins in chapter 5, and and we'll actually be through it for the next couple more weeks because it actually goes all the way through chapter 7 as well. Uh, In the beginning of his sermon, Jesus characterized those who were part of his kingdom. with uh, what we know as the Beatitudes, when he talks about uh, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. And he talks about how they are part of the, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about those 
who follow the Lord, whose heart is after the Lord, who seeks the Lord. He's describing what they're like. He also described them uh, in what we call the similitudes. He likens the believers and followers of Christ to light and to salt. And then uh, chapter 5, it continues after that uh, to explain that he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came rather to fulfill it. And then after, he be- after that, he began to address and then reject the Pharisaic interpretations of the law. Okay? He addressed several topics, and he would start out each topic with the phrase, You have heard that it was said. Okay, and he's referring to the Pharisees who would teach in the synagogues, and they'd, say, they'd get up and say, you know, read a source, scripture or a scroll, and then they'd give their interpretation. They'd give their teaching on it. And so he says, You have heard that it was said. And he oftentimes looking at the letter of the law. And as Jesus spoke of these issues, he would say, But I say to you, Uh, I say to you, and then he would bring the people to the heart and the spirit of the law uh, rather than the letter of the law. He spoke of the issues about murder. He talked about adultery. He talked about divorce and oaths, retaliation and love. And so, uh, and that's where we ended off in chapter 5. Last time uh, we were in Matthew, we, we finished off chapter 5. So this morning we're going to pick up chapter 6. Okay? This, uh, chapter 6 is the continuation of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, Jesus rejected the teachings of the Pharisees and the interpretations uh, of the law, their interpretation of the law. Okay? In chapter 6, Jesus is going to address uh, the practices of the Pharisees. Okay? And so 5 is more their teachings. Chapter 6, he transitions to what they're doing. Okay? Not just what they're saying, but what they're doing. And so we're going to read Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to get through verse 18 this morning, is my hope and prayer. And so uh, will you do me this kind favor we're going to stand and read but I'm only going to read the first portion verses 1 through 4 but let's stand and read God's word as we get into it this morning Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 is what we'll read this morning but like I said I hope to get to verse 18 okay chapter 6 verse 1 says Jesus this is Jesus continuing uh, the sermon on the mount take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will Himself reward you openly. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning, the opportunity to get into Your Word. And Father, I pray that as we uh, make our way through uh, chapter 6 of Matthew's account of, of Your life, Father, that You would lead and guide our time. Father, I pray that You would send Your Spirit to work in our lives, Lord, to uh, encourage, to equip, Lord, to uh, even convict or correct, uh, if that be uh, your desire and and our need. 
And so, Father, we want to lay ourselves before you and allow you to do that work that you began in us. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that tells us that you will complete the work that you began in us. And so we come this morning, Lord, uh, unfinished works of clay. And we ask that you would do some, some work on us this morning. Lord, minister to our hearts and lead us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You know, uh, teaching systematically through the Bible, just going verse by verse, is, is a blessing. Because you can never really you know, set up your own, like, I want to teach about this, and I don't really want to show them something. And to tell you the truth... The topic of giving would not have been my first uh, message that I want to give. Usually that's something you probably want to avoid uh, when first uh, getting to know someone and, and they're like, wow, the very first teaching he gave was about giving. That's kind of weird. Uh, that's not my emphasis. My emphasis is teaching the Word of God. Okay? And so we're going to go through it systematically. It just so happens that we're teaching on giving this morning. And uh, that's okay. okay? I, I, I'm not afraid to teach about giving. I think it's something uh, that's exampled for us and given for us within the scriptures and so we're going to go through it and address the issue of giving this morning along with a couple of other things as well okay as i mentioned jesus switches his attention from the teachings and the interpretations of the pharisees in chapter 5 to now addressing the practices of the pharisees now in this in our translations and how it's written it reads hypocrites but as you read through the gospel accounts you see that there is a select crowd that jesus referred to as the hypocrites it was the scribes and it was the pharisees the religious zealots who who did things outwardly but inside their hearts were hard inside their hearts were not for the lord and so when he's talking about hypocrites the idea here is this continuation of these pharisaic uh, practices okay the first spiritual discipline Jesus brings up is one of giving. Now, when we look at our portion of Scripture today, we're going to notice three different disciplines that we're going to cover. We're going to cover giving, we're going to cover praying, and we're going to cover fasting. And with each of these three disciplines, we're going to see that there's an expectation, that there's an exhortation, and that there's an example that Jesus gives to us to follow. Okay? Also within uh, there we're going to see there's a reward that's attached. There's an expected reward if we follow the example that's laid out for us. And so as we look here at this first discipline of giving, we want to highlight the expectation. Okay? In the New King James it reads charitable deeds, but in the other translation it simply reads when you give to the needy or the poor. And that's what I want to point out here. It's very right off the top okay it's that first expectation notice me with me in verse 2 it says therefore when you do a charitable deed note what it doesn't say okay it doesn't say therefore if you do a charitable deed okay And, and so the expectation is very simple and the expectation is this that as followers of christ as disciples of the lord we would be those who are givers we would be those who give of, of what the Lord has blessed us with. Okay? Giving is a spiritual discipline. 
It's something that is uh, commended and it's encouraged throughout the scriptures. You look in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, I think some people think, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. No, it's in the New Testament too. And if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. You can come see me after church. But there's lots of examples of giving and exhortation to give within the New Testament as well. Right here is one of them. Okay? But... As we look at this, I think there's a great portion of Scripture, a great verse that we can look to in regards to giving. It helps us to clarify things. And so I want to ask you guys to turn there. It's actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And so if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, I'm going to read it to you. I think we have a, a PowerPoint as well. We have it up there. Uh, but I do encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Okay, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, to them, he says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. From this verse, we see four characteristics of our giving. Four things that uh, we can point out. Okay, and number one is that our giving should be purposeful. Okay? Purposeful means that we are intentional about our giving. It's something that we pray about. It's something that we discuss with our family. Possibly if you uh, have a family, you sit down and you, you discuss, hey, what are we, we going to give? What does the Lord have for us? Okay? It's meaningful. Okay? There's a, uh, it's significant to us. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to say that it needs to be a, a certain percentage or a certain amount, but it needs to be significant. It needs to be meaningful. It needs to have a purpose when you're giving. It shouldn't just be, oh, well, whatever's in my pocket, I guess I'll just give my loose change. It, that's not purposeful. That's not meaningful. That's not the example that we're given in Scripture. Okay? Number two in regards to our giving is that our giving should come from the heart. Okay? That is to say that it should be birthed out of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 actually tells us that if we bestow all of our goods to feed the poor, but have not love, it profits us nothing. And so our giving, it must come from the heart. Okay? So it's purposeful. It comes from the heart. Okay, number three is that our giving should not be done grudgingly or of necessity. Okay? The idea here is that you should never have to give. Uh, that's not the kind of giving that's asked of you. You should never feel under compulsion or obligation. I, I know that uh, in Okinawa, when we would pray to, before receiving the offering, we would always say, hey, please don't feel obligated to give because that's not the heart of the little Lord. Excuse me, the heart of the Lord. Okay? We should never feel under compulsion like, oh no, it's coming, i got to give. Okay? Um, our mindset, mindset should never be, I, we got to give to the church, or we got to give to the poor, or we got to help those who in need. The, it, it's a subtle change, but you, we need to have the heart where we say, we get to. Okay? That should be our heart when regards to, to giving. We get to sow into the ministry here at the church. We get to invest in lives of those who are needy and those who are out. It's a very simple change of, of the O to the E, but it's a powerful change in perspective and attitude the difference between we got to and we get to and that's the heart in our giving that it shouldn't be done grudgingly or that we have a sense that we have to do it okay number four lastly in regards to giving is that it should be done cheerfully okay 
When we give, it ought to be something that brings joy to our lives. Okay? We shouldn't, when we give, be like, I have to, you know, I don't want to do this, or this makes me really mad that I have to do that, uh, this giving, right? That's not, our, that's not the heart of giving. That's not the heart the Lord wants us to have. Okay? When we give, it ought to be something that brings joy to our lives, to know that we're being a blessing, that we're taking from what the Lord has given to us and using it to bless others. Well, looking back into our text in Matthew, we see that Jesus gives an exhortation in regards to giving as well. So he gave to us an expectation that we're givers. And here we have an exhortation. Looking back in it, he exhorts us, Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. When we give, we don't need to let everyone know about it. We don't need to to toot our own horn and say, look at me, look what I just gave, or look what I just did. That's not what we're to do. Jesus says, don't do that. That's what the hypocrites do. Don't do that. Uh, He described those people that do that as hypocrites. Hypocrites, they're people who are phonies. They're actors. They're pretenders. And, And what are they pretending to do in regards to giving? Okay? They're pretending to be givers to God in the synagogues and to the poor in the streets, but in reality, they are takers. They give only so that they can receive the praise and adulation of men. And so, in essence, the hypocrite is really not giving, okay? but they're merely exchanging. Okay? They exchange their financial gift for the praise of man. And so Jesus says, the exhortation is, don't be like that. Okay? Don't, don't be a hypocrite who makes it look like you're giving, but really all you're doing is exchanging. Okay? You're giving so that you can receive praise from man or uh, attention from man. Okay? You know what? Uh, Jesus says, if you give like that, you have your reward. And you'll get the praise of man, but that's pretty much all you're going to get. And so we want to make sure that we're not like that and follow the exhortation Jesus gives us. Well, he tells us what not to do, but he also gives to us an example. Okay, if you look back in there, verses 3 and 4, Jesus gives us an example of how we can give. He says, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Okay? What does it mean to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Okay? Uh, our hands really don't have knowledge uh, necessarily, right? That's more of the mind, uh, the brain. Uh, but the principle being taught here is that just as we don't need to let everyone else know uh, about our giving, we don't need to make it a big deal for ourselves as well. Okay? Now, I know that I said our giving needs to be purposeful. It needs to be something we pray about. So I don't want to under undermine that but the idea I think sometimes is that we may give and we don't tell anybody or we don't tell everyone but inside we puff ourselves up okay we can think that we're something special because we gave nobody else knows but I know God I gave this and I you know we, we puff ourselves up we make it into a big deal for ourselves and so Jesus says hey when you give don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing don't make it something that you're you know really focused on as well we give, we give unto the Lord, and then we're, that's it. It's our, our act of worship. And I think it really boils down to a matter of motives. Okay? When we give, is our motive pure and selfless, or are we giving that we might receive praise, that we might receive uh, 
credit or or uh, esteem from others. Okay, our our motive ought to be I give to give to the Lord, okay, and and Him alone. As we look here, we see that there is a reward in verse 4. Not that we give for a reward, but there's one listed. Okay, verse 4 ends off with a reward that we can expect. Jesus says that your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. We don't give for the reward, as I said, but we do know that God sees what we do in the secret. Okay? And, and that He rewards those that follow Him. What is the reward? It doesn't tell us. Okay? I'm not going to stand up here and say, if you give to the church, then you're going to get all this back. You know, God prom- That's not biblical. Okay? God will reward you. What will that reward be? I don't know. But I like to think that it's just the blessings of living a life for the Lord. Okay? It might be financial. Okay? It might be provision through some other means. It might be friendships. It might be relationships. It might be just being used of the Lord and the Lord giving you opportunities uh, to be a tool in His hand, an instrument in His hand, whatever it may be. We don't know. But we know that the Lord sees those who do this in secret. And there's a reward. Okay? And so we can be confident as we give unto the Lord that He sees and that's good enough. Amen? <laughs> Continuing on here, we're going to look at verses 5 through 15. Okay. Here Jesus addresses the topic of praying. In verse 5 of chapter 6 it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses... Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here, Jesus, as I mentioned, He addresses our prayer life. Okay, and, and again, we have an expectation, and, and that expectation is, once again, that it doesn't say, if you pray, but it says, when you pray. The expectation is that we would be men and women of prayer. Okay? Prayer is a vital part of our Christian walk with God. It is the lifeline that we have with the Lord of all, creator of the universe. Prayer gives us access to the throne room of God. We must be men and women of prayer if we want to succeed at all in this life. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. 
we need to be praying. And that is the expectation that Jesus gives, is that we would be men and women that pray. He gives to us an exhortation as well. Jesus exhorted His disciples that when they pray, they're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. The hypocrite that that goes to pray is pretending, remember they're pretenders, they're pretending to pray unto the Lord, but in reality they are praying unto men. We can pray for men, that's a good thing, but when we pray unto men, they are praying to be seen by men. And we're not to do that. That's the exhortation, don't be like the hypocrites. They aren't seeking after the heart of the Lord, instead they are seeking after the hearts of men. When we pray, we ought to be seeking an audience of one. And that's the Lord. We seek the Lord. We petition Him. We can pray for others, but all of our prayers are directed to the Lord, asking Him to intercede in the lives of others. We can do that in our lives and in our communities. But our audience is the Lord and Him alone. Okay? Okay. What does this not mean, though? I do want to clarify, okay? Because this, this doesn't mean that we can't pray in public places or that uh, groups of uh, prayer groups are not good, okay? That, that's not what it's saying here, okay? Corporate prayer is, is something that I would encourage, that we as a church would encourage. We have uh, prayer meetings. We have opportunities to pray together, okay? And so it, that's obviously not what it's saying, okay? Yeah. Public prayer is something I think we ought to do more of. It gives us opportunities to be a witness uh, to those around us. Okay? It, what it really comes down to is our motives, though. Again, we look at the heart. When we pray, are we doing it to be seen by men or to be heard by God? Are, when we pray, are we doing it to be seen by men or heard by God? It ought to be that we would be heard by God. Jesus gives another exhortation as well in regards to prayer. He gives two exhortations and two examples for prayer. Must have been a, or something really important. Jesus gives another exhortation as well in regards to praying. He says in verse 7, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Okay? Here, again, let me repeat and clarify. Jesus does not say that you can't repeat your prayers. Okay? Where even Jesus repeated his prayers there in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the night he was going to be uh, handed over by Judas, he prayed in the Garden three times about the same thing, asking God to let this cup pass from him. And he, he prayed three times that that would happen. And so... Jesus isn't saying we can't repeat our prayers. Okay? There might be things that we repeat often in our prayers. We may be praying for a loved one. And we can be bold and confident to go and continually offer that person up in prayer. Okay? We can repeat our prayers. What does he say not to do? Repeating your prayers is okay. Jesus says don't use vain repetitions. Okay? The meaning of this word, if you were to look it up, it indicates prayers that are empty, that are meaningless. The Greek word actually means to stammer or to use many idle words or to babble. And so the idea is when you're praying, you're you're not really thinking about what you're praying. You're just saying things over and over again. Your heart is detached. You're just kind of going through the motions. He says, don't pray like that. I know uh, Pastor Rick, he grew up in a... uh, 
uh, a private, he went, attended a private school growing up. He was of the Catholic faith. And he, he talks about vain, repetitious prayer because he felt like that's, everyone's taught to, to pray certain prayers. And everyone prays them over and over every single day. But there is no meaning. There's no heart in that prayer. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Okay? The exhortation is don't be like that. Okay? Our prayers should be meaningful. They need to be direct, not insincere and aimless, repeating the same words over and over again. Okay? Jesus gives for us an example to follow in prayer as well. He gives us two examples. In verse 6, he gives us an example of where and how we can pray. And in verses 9 through 13, he gives to us an example of what we can pray. And so in verse 6, as you look back in uh, this morning's portion, it says, When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Jesus encourages his disciples to seek out a quiet place to pray where we can be alone with God. I don't think it, the context is that it has to be your closet, okay? but it, it's a place where you can get away. That's free from distraction. That's quiet. That you can be with the Lord. Okay? I think this is something that, that many of us struggle with finding. Okay? Our lives can often be uh, overwhelmed and busy with many other things that uh, don't allow us uh, or seem to not allow us to, to get away and to take time to be alone with the Lord and to pray in quietness. You know, uh, I, because it's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. Okay? This ought to be something that we're doing. Okay? It's an example that he gives to us. We need uh, to be able to set aside some time during the day to get alone with the Lord. Okay? And, and whether that be early in the morning, Hey, some people like to get up early in the morning and seek the Lord. That's great. If you've got kids, maybe it's before the kids get up. Okay, uh, maybe it's in the evening. Okay, uh, if you, once again, you got kids. You put the kids to bed, and you you have that opportunity that time. Okay, maybe it's during your work day. Okay, you, you take a lunch break. Okay, and you, you get away. You, uh, I know a lot of people uh, in Okinawa. You know the beach and the parks and stuff like that. You just get away and, and enjoy the scenery. Where there can be lots of people around, but you can still be alone with the Lord. You know what I mean? And so just have that time, have that place. Whether it's in the morning, in the evening, in the daytime, whatever it is, you got to have that time. We need to take that time to meet with the Lord. You know, my wife, I told her, I said, well, now that you're a wife of a senior pastor, you get introduced into the sermon notes as examples. So I told her I was going to use her with her approval, not high approval, but her approval nonetheless. You know, my wife is a very busy woman. Okay? Uh, as if being my helpmate wasn't work enough. She's also taking care of our sons all day long. Okay. She's cooking meals. She's preparing homeschool lessons and instructing a sixth grader, a fourth grader, and a third grader. She's uh, cleaning the house, doing the laundry, keeping the peace, which with four boys is not easy. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, also we have a newborn baby, so, you know, that's pretty much he demands her time any, in all parts of the day, through the night, through the morning, through the day, all, all times. And so... She uh, is a very busy, busy woman, okay? And I know that there are many of you here today that can probably relate to having a busy schedule and not being able to really set aside that time. And, and yet my wife will be one of the first to tell you of the importance of having that time with the Lord. She tries to wake up early in the morning to meet with the Lord. She'll try and wake up before the kids, which isn't always easy, especially when she's been awake all night nursing the baby and caring for the baby. So uh, oftentimes she has to just set aside time during the day. You know, uh, 
uh, even going as far as, as threatening uh, the boys with severe discipline at times if they were to interrupt her quiet time. Uh, sometimes in Okinawa it was, go to your room. I don't want to hear a thing. Whatever you're doing, I don't care what you're doing. I'm going to spend time in the Word and I'm going to pray and, and I don't want to see you or hear you for at least the next 20, 30 minutes. And, and, and she had to do that. Okay? And, and the kids kind of knew and, and with her tone and, and that it's, okay, she's serious. We're going to go and, and just be real quiet because uh, I won't say what she did because we're in church, but they didn't like it. They, <laughs> but she realized the importance of that time. You know, to make the effort to say, even though I have a busy, crazy, hectic life, this time is important and I need it. Okay? And we ought to have that same type of sense of priority in our lives that we're saying, no, you know what, this is such a high priority. Out of all the chaos that's going in my life, this still needs to have a place in part of my life. And so make time to be alone in a quiet place with the Lord. In verses 9 through 13, we have a second example of, and here we address what we can pray. Okay, this prayer uh, in verses nine through thirteen is probably the most well-known prayer in all the Bible. Okay, uh, many have done exactly what Jesus said not to do in regards to this prayer. They've repeated it over and over with no heart or purpose or meaning, uh, and there's no uh, connection. There's no heart to it, and so uh, I, I find that coinc- very coincidental or odd uh, that this example that he gave to prayer is something that we oftentimes uh, blow in regards to the example of not being repeating it over and over repetitiously and not thinking about it and so I want to oftentimes when you read through it you almost can kind of go into auto mode and you just you know it right most of you guys probably know this prayer you've heard it many times and so you can just kind of go through it but I want to go through it and I want to highlight some things in regards to prayer and what our prayer life should look like in regards to the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Now, it's interesting that this prayer is, is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but in reality it was a sample prayer that He gave to His disciples. So a better title for it might be the Disciples' Prayer. But nonetheless, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Whatever you want to call it doesn't really make that big of a difference. What we do want to focus in on is, is the prayer itself and what we can learn from the example that Jesus left us. And so looking at the prayer, there are nine things okay, that we'll note about what our prayers should model. Okay? And, and this actually information comes from a, a discipleship series that I did in Okinawa and I was blessed. I saw it actually on Pastor Mike's uh, bookshelf as well. So I don't know if it's something he brought from Okinawa or if he's done with some of you guys. But it's done by uh, Pastor Larry uh, DeSimone uh, from Calvary Chapel of the Canyons in California. And he outlines the Father, uh, excuse me, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I want to highlight some of the things that he highlighted for us as well. Uh, the prayer, it starts out, Our Father. Okay? And so immediately we notice that our prayer is based upon a personal relationship. Okay? He's not the Father or a Father. He's our Father. Okay? He knows us and we know Him. And when we go to Him to pray, we need to pray accordingly and, and be yourself. Okay? We don't need to, to try and be something else. Okay? He's our Father. We have a relationship. He knows who I am. And He knows where I'm at and how I pray and how I communicate. And so may I encouragement, my encouragement to you as we look at this Lord's Prayer, it's based upon a relationship that you have with Him. And so don't try and be phony or anything. Just be real. Be yourself. Okay, the prayer continues. Our Father in Heaven. Our prayer must have the right address. 
Okay? It's in heaven. Okay? As we consider that, it, it reminds us that God is not our earthly father. Okay? He is our heavenly father. Okay? We ought to remember that when we go to our father in prayer. He is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, he's God. It means nothing is impossible for him. And when we pray, we've got to keep that in mind. He's not our earthly father that has limitations, but he's our heavenly father that can do all things. And so when we go to him, we want to be mindful of that. He's our heavenly father. Okay? Their prayer continues, hallowed be your name. Our prayers ought to move then to praise and worship of him and to him. God is worthy of our praise. And we shouldn't be so quick to just get to our needs okay, and our requests and miss out on an opportunity to worship and praise our Heavenly Father. It's something that uh, is very important in our prayer life, that we would be people that praise and worship Him in our times of prayer. Okay? It continues, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. From worship, our prayer can then focus on purpose. What is the purpose of prayer? I think some people have the the wrong idea of prayer. They think of prayer as more of a genie in the the lamp type of uh, thing where they can, let me just shake this, uh, rub this lamp, and the genie is going to appear, and I'll give them my desires and my wishes, and we'll be uh, on our way. That's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to get what you want. The purpose of prayer, as it mentions here, is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers ought to be about knowing, seeing, and experiencing His will. Prayer is not our magic way of getting what we want. Prayer is our way of aligning ourselves with what He wants. And it's His will. The prayer continues, Give us this day our daily bread. Our prayer can then move to personal request. Okay? It's okay to ask for something personal when we go to the Lord in prayer. In fact, according to this model Jesus gave us, it's something that He wants for, to hear from us daily. So daily we can go to Him with our prayers, with, with our personal requests. And we can say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I need. I, I need you in my life. I need your help with this or that, whatever it may be. And so we're encouraged. Bring your personal requests to the Lord on a daily basis. It says, and the prayer continues, it says, And forgive us our debts. Okay? Prayer involves confession as well. As we confess to the Lord our debts, our sins, and we seek... Uh, uh, excuse me. I jumped ahead. It continues, And forgive us our debts. Okay, so we have confession, but not only uh, confession, but also forgiveness. Okay? I think this is something that it can be a little bit difficult uh, for us. Okay? Excuse me, I jumped ahead there. I'm all over the place. Okay. Forgiveness is given. Thank you. <laughs> okay? After we confess, okay, we need to then forgive our debtors. Okay, we forgive us our debts, our own sins. We confess those things. Then, subsequent to that, it says that we should forgive our debtors as well. So, not only does it involve confession, but it involves forgiveness—forgiveness forgiveness from the Lord. But also, we need to be willing to forgive others. 
in our hearts. And I think that's something that we often forget to do. I think sometimes we can have bitterness towards people or a situation, and we go to the Lord in prayer, uh, but we, we really ought to take care of that thing, which we'll see it's something very important. Verses 14 and 15 will speak a little bit about it as well. Well, continuing on, the eighth thing that we note from this prayer, it says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This model for prayer continues by showing us that we ought to pray for personal protection from temptation and the devil. And so I want to encourage you, if there's something you're struggling with, is there temptation in your life, bring that to the Lord in prayer. Ask His help for that. Ask to be protected against the temptation and the devil who wants to rip you off okay, and lead you astray and destroy as much as He can his, your relationship with the Lord. And so we can pray for protection against that as we go to prayer. And then lastly, uh, it says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so the conclusion of this example of prayer, Jesus once again brings us back to praise, recognizing his power and majesty over our lives and really the entire world. Uh, This is his world and we are uh, his children in it. And, And so we can end our prayers just acknowledging that, saying, God, you're in control of all. Okay, Praise him. You know, it's important to remember that the Lord, He gave us this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, as a model. Okay? It's something that uh, we're to learn from. He says, in this manner. He doesn't say, when you pray, pray this exact thing every single time, or else it won't work. Okay? That's not the idea here. He gives us an example. This is a, a model to follow. Okay? When we, when we pray, it's not as if we have to address each and every one of those nine things that we just pointed out. Okay? But when we look at our prayer life as a whole, and when we say, you know, whenever we do pray, that there would be these elements within our prayer life. Okay? That we would realize that it's based upon a relationship. That we would realize that God is able to do uh, anything. He is our Father in Heaven. Okay? That we can praise Him. That we can make confession. That we can make personal requests. That we can be forgiving to others. Um, that we would pray uh, against the attacks of the enemy. Uh, all those things. That's part, as we look at our prayer life in whole, sometimes our prayers will be longer than the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes they'll be shorter. Okay? And the, the idea here is not that it have to be this exact way, but that our prayer life in total would rep- be represented in this Lord's Prayer. Okay? We have a reward. Okay? Actually, two rewards that are, are mentioned here. Looking over the, this discipline of prayer, Jesus highlighted reward that we can expect as well. In verse 6, Jesus again promises that our Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Uh, Again, I believe just the blessings of living a life for the Lord. But in verses 14 and 15, he gives kind of a reward, but he also gives a warning. Okay, verses 14 and 15 is really a continuation of the thought from verse 12. Okay, in in verse 12, it said. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verse 14 and 15 is kind of Jesus' commentary on on that. It's an extension of that idea. Verses 14 uh, and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Some of you might be thinking, whoa, wait a second here. (laughs) 
This, this might seem, uh, if we look at just this verse by itself, we might say, does that mean that our salvation, our, the forgiveness of our sins, is based upon and contingent upon us being willing to forgive others? That without us forgiving other people, that we cannot be forgiven of our sins? No. That's not what this verse is telling. Okay, that's not what this verse is teaching us. Okay? Uh, that would go against all the rest of Scripture that, that teaches us that salvation is a free gift from God. Okay? What does it mean then? Okay? Let me try to explain. This verse is talking about prayer. Okay? And the very first point we made about the Lord's Prayer is that prayer is based upon a relationship. Our relationship with the Lord is directly influenced by the relationship that we have with others. If we harbor bitterness towards someone and don't forgive them, then we are in sin. And sin causes a strain on our relationship with the Lord. Jesus, He already spoke about how we ought to make things right with one another before we come to the Lord in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. He said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, because we don't want our relationship or our prayers to be hindered, the Lord emphasizes and implores us to be forgiving towards others. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. If you want to turn there, you can. Colossians 12 and verse 13 further gives us an example of this. Uh, this notion or this idea of forgiveness towards others. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, uh, oh, Colossians 3, 12 and 13, excuse me. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Ephesians 4.32 also speaks of this idea. Ephesians 4.32, just a few pages to the left if you're in a Bible electronically, you just type it in. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it, it says something similar. It says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we see, verses 14 and 15, it's talking about our relationship with the Lord. We don't want our relationship to be hindered by sin in our lives because we're harboring bitterness. And so he says, hey, if you, you need to forgive others, okay, and you're going to receive that forgiveness, that reward will be there. But if you're, not, if you're not forgiving of others, when you come to me in prayer, there's going to be there's the sin between us. That's, that's a harboring, that's hindering our prayer life, our connection with the Lord. And so that's what he's speaking about. He's speaking about prayer. Warren Wearsby, a great Bible commentator, he put it this way. If we have truly experienced God's forgiveness, 
then we will have a readiness to forgive others. Because you see, the idea is that we realize how much we've been forgiven of. When we realize how much God has forgiven us and and the slate that's been wiped clean, well then, it's hard to hold a grudge against someone else. We say, well, God's forgiven me of all this. I guess I can forgive my brother for this this trifle, insignificant thing. And, And so that's the idea there. Well, continuing on, verses 16 through 18, wrapping up uh, our, our time this morning in Matthew. It says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In these last verses of today's portion, Jesus addresses an often ignored spiritual discipline, and that's fasting. I think, at least in Okinawa, Calvary Chapel was often referred to as Calorie Chapel because we like to get together and eat. And I hope to continue that tradition here. Um, but, but fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's very important. Uh, again, there's an expectation, and the expectation is a simple one. Jesus expects that as followers of Him, we would be people that fast. He states in verse 16, when you fast, not if you fast. And so it's something we ought to be doing. Fasting uh, is defined uh, by Dr. James Strong in his lexicon this way. To abstain as a religious exercise from food and drink, either entirely if the fast lasted but a single day, or from customary and choice nourishment if it continued several days. As we search through the scriptures, and if you look for examples uh, of fasting, we will see that the purpose for a fast is not only to deny ourselves of nourishment, but also in its stead that we would wholly seek after the Lord. That when those physical hunger pains come because we're denying ourselves something, that we would take that time to seek the Lord and and replace that physical nourishment with spiritual nourishment. Seeking the Lord for His discretion, uh, for His direction, for discretion, for uh, our needs, whatever they may be. You know, if you just deny yourself nourishment for a day, but don't take any time to seek the Lord, you're not fasting, you're just dieting. Okay? And if you're doing it for a really long time, you're not dieting, you're just starving. Okay? And so that's not something we want to encourage you to do. I don't want to encourage you to do that. Okay? When we fast, we, we, don't, we deny ourselves something, but we replace it with a spiritual appetite. We're, we're, we're denying the flesh to, to seek the spiritual aspects. The purpose of a fast is to set aside our physical needs and focus instead upon our spiritual needs. Jesus gives us an exhortation. He says, when we fast, Jesus exhorts us once again, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to to men to be fasting. In, In true hypocritical form, the hypocrites, they're acting. They're, they're putting on a face. And that's actually what the original Greek word meant. And an actor who wears a mask is a hypocrite. Okay? The mask they wear while fa- fasting is one of a disfigured face and a sad countenance. They're not fasting, they're acting. Okay? Once again, their emphasis is not upon denying themselves and seeking the Lord, but rather indulging themselves on the empathy of men. 
And he says, don't do that. Don't be like that. Okay? His example that he gives to us and to follow on fasting is in verses 17 and 18. He says, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. And Jesus basically says uh, to wash your hair and face, you know, uh, look alive and well. Not because appearance, appearance is so important, it's so that you don't draw attention to yourself as you fast. Listen, when we fast, when you and I fast, we should look the same way we do on any other day. We shouldn't be doing anything to draw attention to ourselves. I think sometimes, I'm fasting, you know, you know, no food for me, no lunch for me. You know, that's not the heart of the idea, you know. Not that I am fasting because I had breakfast, but I, I would look the same if I was fasting. I'd be up here and, and acting the same way that I would normally would. And the same thing for you when we fast, and it's not something that we're to dramatize and make into something that we would look the same as we did any other day. There's a reward here. Okay, as we fast secretly, Jesus says once again that your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What sort of reward can we anticipate when we fast? Looking through Scripture, we see that fasting led to a revelation of God's direction for individuals as well as His provision. Okay? We see this as the, in the early church as they fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas for the work of, uh, that He had called them to in Acts chapter 13. Okay? And so God gave them direction as they fasted. Also in Acts chapter 10, the life of Cornelius, he fasted and prayed and an angel appeared before him instructing him to send for Peter and so he's given direction again. Even in the Old Testament, as you see examples of people that uh, fasted and prayed, Ezra, uh, the Lord answered him as he fasted and prayed in Ezra chapter 8. Daniel and his friends, a very popular fast, it's a vegetable and water fast. It doesn't always have to be abstaining from all foods. It can just be from certain foods. And so we see Daniel. Uh, God gave them uh, incredible favor and they were able to do incredible things as they set aside things to fast and pray. And so, you know, we shouldn't fast for a reward. But may I encourage you that if you find yourself in a difficult situation where you really need the Lord's direction and provision to consider fasting. Whether that be for a meal or for a day, or uh, from all foods, or maybe it be from certain foods, okay? that you might set those, set those foods aside, that physical appetite aside, and seek the Lord, okay? and ask Him for discretion. Oftentimes, when people would fast and pray, we see God show up and do great things. What will the reward be? We don't know. But we know God who sees in secret will reward us. Okay? As we look over today's teaching, covering chapters 1 through 18, 1, excuse me, verses 1 through 18, okay, we saw a very similar pattern with each of these three disciplines Jesus addressed. Okay? He addressed giving, he addressed praying, and he addressed, fa- addressed fasting. And with each one, we saw there was an expectation, an exhortation, and an example to follow. And, and really, they were all very similar. Right, uh, the expectation was that we would be followers, as followers of the Lord, we would be people doing these things, that we would be people who are giving, that we would be people who are fasting, that people that are praying. Okay, that was the expectation, and, and the exhortation was very similar as well. Okay, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay, they do these things to be seen by men. Okay, when you give, when you pray, 
when you fast don't do it to be seen by men remember we do it as unto an audience of one it's to the Lord and unto him alone okay and then our examples they were all very similar as well okay that we need to do these things in private in secret between you and the Lord okay and really that's what this teaching is all about I believe it's about things between you and the Lord these spiritual disciplines that he wants you to be using and to exercise okay as we give as we pray as we fast we do it unto the Lord and him alone it really is a matter of a heart okay where's our heart at okay if our heart is seeking after the applause of men Jesus says you'll get it that's all you're going to get if our heart is to seek the Lord to honor the Lord to spend time with the Lord it's then that we can anticipate the Lord's favor and His blessings in our life and let me just leave you with this thought or this fact the Lord's favor and acceptance is infinitely more valuable than any man's favor or acceptance and so let's seek to honor Him let's seek Him and not man eh? let's pray Father I just thank you for this uh, morning Lord I thank you for this opportunity to, to just spend time in your word and Father we thank you for these examples that you've given to us Lord we thank you that you haven't left us without an example uh, but you give us uh, these examples to follow and so Father I just pray that as your children Lord that we would be people that, that pray People that fast and, and, and set aside our, our, our physical fleshly needs to, to seek and, and honor you uh, and our spiritual needs. And Father, that we would be those that give as well. Not, not to, to toot our own horn or, or to be seen by man, but Lord, to, to give unto you as an act of worship. Saying, Lord, thank you for all the abundance you've given to us and we want to give back to you. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us, Lord, that we would consider our lives and our disciplines and and our actions in regards to these examples you've left for us. Lord, maybe there's some here that their prayer life hasn't been what you desire, Lord. Maybe they haven't ever even fasted, Lord, and yet they're they're wanting you, seeking you, and finding uh, that, not finding you. Maybe you'd have them to fast. Lord, uh, giving is, well, you want us to do it cheerfully. So, Father, I pray that uh, we would be people that do that. Lord, uh, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this body. And I pray that you administer to them, continuing to go through this day and through this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.